G'day and welcome to another episode of the Luke's Lowdown podcast. Today, I've got my good friend, Alyssa Amos Clark on the other line. If you don't know who Alyssa is, she's an ultra runner, adventure seeker, outdoor lover, and also Guinness World Record holder for running 95 marathons in 95 consecutive days. I feel very privileged to call you a friend, Alyssa. How you doing? I'm doing well, Luke. I was just thinking about how incredible and full circle this is because the first time I was introduced to you is through a podcast with Tina Muir, and it's now incredible that I am on a podcast with you. So really full circle. I feel very honored to be doing this with you. So thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So you've been a busy woman over the last few years and I don't necessarily want to dive into and, and go through everything you've you've done over the last few years because we would have to be here for days people can go and check that out and we'll direct people where to go to do that um, but you've done a couple of bigger things over the past few years that we're going to dive into but firstly I want to know from a personal perspective because we haven't caught up for a little while what are you currently training for yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so part of, and I think this is where we get along really well, is I do love racing. Um, and so I do have some big races on the docket for this year. I'm doing uh, the Marathon de Mont Blanc, 90 kilometer um, TDS at UTMB, and then the Moab 240. Um, so I am taking on a pretty competitive uh, racing season. It's kind of my first dabble at the UTMB race series, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I have Moab 240 has really been on my list for a long time because I like the long stuff, but currently, um, because it's winter here, I am training for more kind of multidiscipline stuff. So my husband and I are really big into, um, well, I mean, we try to make it not scary, but like big winter stuff in the mountains. So we do a lot of ski touring, and some ice climbing and so actually kind of the race that I have and it's just a training race but I'm super stoked about it is um an ultra that incorporates um going up to a glaciated peak up in Washington so you have to be um uh attached to ropes through like a three mile glacier section you have to have a harness and um a ice tool and crampons. Um, so I'm super excited to kind of, for the first time, be combining the two. Um, and that's happening in June up in Washington state. So that is kind of, I guess the most, and then I'll probably have a 50 K somewhere in there, possibly running with burrows um, for a marathon at some point in there. Yeah. So a lot of variations. So it's kind of fun. I think to, I love racing and, and I like, I take that part really seriously, but I also love these other adventures and kind of combining, um, multi-disciplines, multi-animals, multi-sports. So yeah, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but that's where we're at. That is, that is so cool. Cause we met, uh, must've been two or three years ago now. And one thing, and we've chatted quite a lot in that time, even though you're now living over in California and I'm still here in London but you've done a lot of adventure stuff and your husband, Cody, who is a super cool dude and has one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. It is, it is something right now. It is like, <laughs> honestly, it is someone once said, I think he's, he set the world record for the fastest 
and most full mustache ever grown. And I think that's right on. It is oh. un, it's out of this world right now. He's a dead set legend and I know he loves his mountains and he's, and he's uh, very experienced and knowledgeable in the mountains. So no doubt he's been training you for your little adventure race. I'm super interested. I've seen you've been doing some um, stuff in the mountains, some ice climbing. I've done a little bit of ice climbing, a little bit of mountaineering in the winter myself, not huge amounts, but I've done a little bit to grasp the concept of, of what you would be doing. Firstly, I want to know is how long is this race like from start to finish? Yeah. So it's 50 miles or like 54 miles. Um, and it's only really like three miles of it are on glaciated terrain. But I think anyone who travels in the mountains knows that can be a very slow three miles. Yeah. And um, what's yeah. the amount of climbing, like elevation gain and loss over the whole race? So it is 11,000 feet over 11,000 feet. So was that like 3,500 meters? Yeah. Yeah. About, yeah. About three, 3,000. So yeah, just over, not quite three and a half thousand meters. I would have said. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Over 54 miles. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the race starts at midnight um, because of just the way that we climb mountains, you have to be really careful about um, snow uh, warming up and safety of travel. So oftentimes it can be much more safe to travel in the night, um, especially if you do, I mean, they provide the ability to rope up, um, or I'm sorry, attach into ropes. Um, so it can actually be a lot safer when the snow is colder um, rather than when it's warmer, because when it's warmer, you have the risk of avalanches, you um, have risk, I mean, it's not really risk, but like post-holing sucks. So you can be post-holing um, and also to just more exposure um, as it gets warmer. So yeah, that I'm super excited for it. I'm um, working with a company that I can't quite reveal yet and they're really invested in mountain sports and kind of multidiscipline. So yeah, it all kind of comes together. That's that's super cool. I'm excited to to watch uh, your your journey on that and and see how you go and definitely chat with you afterwards. So, as you mentioned, you've got a few races that are to use your terms on on the docket. It's a very American phrase. I don't hear that often over here in the UK, but uh, you've got a bunch of races, and I know deep down in your heart, you're just a, a wild adventurer and love going out and doing your your own thing. So. Where I really want to start is last year in 2021, you completed the Pinoti Trail in Alabama in the US, 350 miles or 560 kilometers, five days, 14 hours, 43 minutes uh, supported. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit. And I've got a few questions regarding that. But what I first want to do is go back another year, 2020 same trail same place you went to do this whole trail 350 miles self-supported where basically you had a backpack and then you would refill yourself along the way and that's it what i want to know is why did you want to go and do this super long technical trail solo well, a lot of that had to do with um, COVID of just what seemed realistic at that time and safety 
concerns because COVID was kind of coming back in the fall. I don't know. I feel like COVID has always gone, like we think it's gone away for a little bit and then it comes back. And I was really set on not exposing other people and not putting other people in uncomfortable positions of helping me do what is really a frivolous activity. Um, And so I felt that I could be self-contained by doing it on my own and reduce my impact on others and reduce um, just the interactions of people, et cetera, and keep kind of the COVID impact down. So that was definitely a factor into it. Um, You know, I I think, I mean, the beautiful part about racing is that you're supported. So um, you don't really get to find out as much about what your mind does when it's alone and how to rescue yourself. Um, And so I think that I was really invested in pushing my running and adventuring in the direction of what can I do on my own and how can I fix my problems um, personally. And, you know, something I think that's really interesting that living in Europe, so I lived in Italy for two years, how I met you, um, is that most European races do not allow uh, pacers and uh, most American races do allow pacers. And I think that pacers are such, I think they're wonderful, but I also think that you don't really know how to get yourself out of things until you're alone. And I think that European races really taught me um, and kind of took me to the next step of being like, where does your mind go at 80 kilometers or hundred kilometers? And how do you personally get yourself out of that? Um, Whereas with the pacer, you have someone to talk through, someone to help you problem solve. And so I wanted to kind of take that to the next level with Penhody of what do you do when you're out there for days? Um, And one of my big things is in as in the safest manner possible, but I think that women so often pigeonhole themselves into um, not going after big goals or big endeavors because they're afraid. And I, again, with safety, and I did have a lot of like safety features, like how to Garmin and reach. People knew where I was the whole time. I had mapped out exactly where I was going to sleep and what my plan was with people Mm -hmm. who could come and easily help me. But my big thing is encouraging women to go after these big, uncomfortable goals and, you know, not hold themselves back because of fear. So Um, so I want to jump in there. If there's a woman listening to you right now going, okay, yeah, you went and ran this or you took off to set and run this 350 mile trail by yourself solo their version of that could be you know doing an overnight run or doing an all-day run by themselves rather with friends or or anything whatever it is um if they're listening to you right now and they're umming and ahhing and they're afraid they're scared they're not sure like what would you tell them right now about that I mean, I think that the biggest thing is to prepare yourself for what you think could happen and talk yourself through those scenarios so that you already have, uh, in a safe setting, so you already have your answers for yourself when you meet what you think could come. And also, um, I actually learned this from another fantastic adventurer, um, Anna McNuff, 
uh, who's also yeah British adventurer, she would say that she would make kind of a list of like, what do I, what's the worst thing that could happen? Is it really that bad or am I just overthinking it? And then what are the best case scenarios or like, why are the reasons why I'm doing it? And talking yourself through the possibilities of those scary things beforehand, so you already have the tools to um, address it. And I think the other thing is, and I've talked about this with, um, again, another amazing woman, uh, Candace Burt, who puts on the Destination 200s is, and she's done some crazy stuff like the Arizona Trail, self-supported and, um, or even unsupported, I think. And both of us were like, yeah, we're both scared out of our minds. Like there is no question that I was absolutely terrified at times on the Pinhoti. Like the first day I started at four in the morning or something along those lines, it was super dark. There are rattlesnakes. There are like some, there are amazing people. There's also some creepy people as there are everywhere. And I was like hyperventilating. I was so scared, but I was like, gosh, if I'm gonna, like I talked myself out of my brain just going in hyperdrive. And I went, oh, this would suck if I stopped like six miles into this journey. Like I wanna see what I can do and I wanna see the rest of the trail. I wanna go on this adventure. And like, if I can't handle it right now, first of all, the sun's coming up. Everything's better when the sun comes up. Um, but second of all, like, I want this experience more than my fear. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge, like, because I think so often people see people like Candace or myself or Anna as not being afraid. And that's not true. We don't have this, like, magical self where we don't get scared and we can just go do whatever we want. We've practiced the skill of being able to identify, is this real risk or is this perceived risk? And so I think it's really helpful to hear that like, yes, we, we do get scared, um, but it's okay because the pursuit is worth it. And also we've put in the safety measures and been able to talk ourselves through these scenarios as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to, uh, to make is just because all you women do these amazing things doesn't mean that you're not afraid or doesn't mean that you don't fear something. It just means that, you know, to be able to sit with that discomfort, sit with that fear, looking at like, this is one of the things that I do a lot. And then I work with, with other athletes and also people in the, in, in the corporate world and other ways is talking about, it's almost like a, I call it negative visualization. It's actually a, a big thing in goal setting in terms of, okay, whatever I'm trying to achieve, what could go wrong? And it's not just acknowledging that it's actually, okay, if it did go wrong, what would I do? So then you're visualizing these negative things that happened. And then the process that you would go through to overcome that. And what that does for us is settles those, those nerves and those fears, because it's almost like, as you said, we have these tools in our backpack. Okay, we know if this happens, then I do that. We know if this happens, then I do that. And you're not going to come up with every possible scenario. Yeah. But what it does is gets you into a frame of mind of problem solving. And when something goes wrong, 
that's what you want to be able to do. You don't want to get too emotional and throw your arms up in the air after six miles, like you said, and go, oh, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm finished turning around and walking away, which is a very emotional reaction. It's neither good nor bad, positive or negative. But let's try and be a little bit more logical in terms of, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's happening to me. These are the potential things that could go wrong or are going wrong. Let's go into problem solving mode and try and solve it. So with that said, when you first went out there in 2020 to the Penhoti Trail in Alabama, what were just a couple of the, the big things that did go wrong and the ones that you did overcome? How did you do that? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with things I overcame. Well, that initial fear, um, I was afraid of rattlesnakes and other animals out there in part, and there are rattlesnakes. But one of the things that I think people forget is that animals, if you don't want to see an animal, the animal probably doesn't want to see you. So really, that's not as high of a risk as you think. Um, and there's also like when you really dig into the research of rattlesnake bites, they happen to 18 to 27 ish year old males who mess with them. Rattlesnakes don't really want to bite you. So if you avoid them, like you're probably not going to get bitten. So that was number one is just like rationalizing that. Um, the other thing is I know is like, yes, at night I am more nervous. So um, I would put, I would still be listening, but I would put one earphone in and play like a nice audiobook or something that would get my mind away from the fear side of things of just like putting myself in a more rational brain, which probably would help me to react better to a situation. Um, and also I had examples throughout the day um, that encouraged, made me feel better. Like I did run into people and they were friendly. That's not to say that there are not still bad people out there, but it helped uh, keep that fear of like, oh, people are not out to get you for the most part. Again, there's still bad circumstances, but I think that um, it's less common than you think. And also like you have to start thinking about other risk factors. You're like driving a car is more dangerous. <laughs> like anything could happen. So you just, you have to rationalize. And so I came up with solutions in my head of dealing with the nighttime that made me feel a lot better about it. And also you start to realize like, yeah, you just get a little bit more tired and it takes that edge of anxiety off, um, which again, good and bad. Um, things that didn't <laughs> go well and Luke um, and his wonderful wife were some of the first people that were kind of helping me try to problem solve this um, is that Alabama is incredibly unpredictable of how hot it can be. Um, I did this in late October and it was 80 plus degrees and it's super humid. And with self-supported, um, you have a lot less room for error. And I went through a couple of sections where there was no water and I had not brought enough water. So um, I got pretty severely dehydrated. And when you're doing these things, you can't, like if you start off dehydrated, it's really hard to pull it back. I also did not have a great strategy for electrolytes because I was trying to go as light as possible with my pack. And I made an error there as well of bringing a bag of salt, which is something I've never really tested instead of, <laughs> yep. Again, you can think that you know a lot and you can think like, I have years of experience and you can still make really dumb mistakes like that. 
Um, and so I ended up on waking up on the second day and realizing I was peeing blood. And how, how many miles had you ran at this point, just for context? Um, about 85. Yeah. Okay. So about <clears throat> 100, 130 kilometers. Yeah. And I realized that's not good. And then I was peeing every like, or feeling like I needed to pee every like 10 to 15 minutes and there was blood in it. And I was like, this is not great. Um, so I tried to reel it back. It got a little bit better. Um, but then it would get a little bit better and then it would get worse. And then I was kept going through the day, which again, questionable, um, decision, yes. but I'd kind of made, yeah, absolutely not. I've made some really dumb mistakes in my life. And, um, I kind of kept thinking I could pull it back. I think you also have to balance how much you want something. And I really, really wanted the adventure and the journey and I didn't want to call it done. Um, so I slowed down quite a bit. I was drinking a lot of fluids um, and I made it to, I think like a hundred and well, like 130. I spent the night when I woke up, things be, seemed to be better, but then I start, as soon as I started moving, it got worse again. I was like, this is not safe. This isn't smart. So I, hold it at like one, I don't know, like 40 or something. Um, so a lot of learning experiences, a lot to be taken away from it, but also a lot of silly mistakes. What I want to know is after you've come home and, you know, you've unpacked your stuff and you've had that initial you know, regardless of, of who you are, like even it could be like five seconds in your head, but you'll have a pity party for yourself, right? Like it's oh, yeah. some people's last five days, five months, five seconds, whatever it is, there'll, there'll be a thought at the, at the absolute bare minimum. After you, after you got through that and you've sort of settled a little bit, what I want to know is how did you then pick yourself up to sort of say, because, you know, a lot of people DNF at races, a lot of people don't achieve their goal times. A lot of people have bad runs and they beat themselves up over it. And I think I should have done better than that. I shouldn't have finished. You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gave up regard. Like, yes, you finished because of health reasons. I'm not, I'm not sort of challenging that, but what, what I want to know is what was the thought process that you went through after this, you know, this DNF to then pick yourself up to say, okay, now what's next? I want to know the conversation you're having with yourself until you got to that point. Yeah. Um, I think absolutely the pity party. I think absolutely when you are going after big goals and also you are trying to establish yourself um, as an athlete that I guess like matters is a strong word, but like an athlete where this, you're trying to make your career or going after it, you can feel like, oh my gosh, no, I have nothing to show for this. Like I've been on this effort and no one really cares. Like, cool. You DNF'd like, that's not something you can put on your resume. Um, which actually you should, I disagree with my mindset at that point. I now actually put, if I DNF something, because it kind of shows like the progress of where you started and where you end up. Um, but I think that one, that's been a huge part of my growth as an athlete um, and as a person. And my, I have a coach and he really cares about me more as a person than 
my athletic achievement. And I think it's really important to find someone who supports you in that. Um, and so what I used to do is you get really mad and then I would find a race or races and try to jump right back in and like self-soothe through racing. And I did, I know I did that in 2019. I DNF'd two huge races that were like my A goals. This was going to be like groundbreaking. And I punished myself. I, I went 120 or 30 miles in Tour de Jean, which is a beast in itself. And then two weeks later, raced a 50K. A week later, raced like a vertical, like a sky race. And a week after that, raced another sky race. Um, and by the third sky race, I was in tears at the start because I was so tired and burned out and didn't want to race but felt like I was trying to make up for failing and so that's how I used to and then I was like I don't want to pit on a bib for forever and then 2022 2020 happened and I was like didn't mean that long but okay you took me too literally whoever made that decision um what I've come to realize and where I've matured as an athlete because I don't do that anymore, where I don't even allow myself to look at races. I don't allow myself to be soothed by something else until I've had the time to process the loss. And it really is a loss because you put, I mean, I can tell you that when I pick a project or I pick a race, I think about that probably like 50 plus times a day. Like it is always in my head what I am going after. And it, it is just, it's a part of my, who I am. And it's a part of what I'm striving for, what I think about, how I shape my day. Um, and so when you lose that, it's like, oh my gosh, who am I now? And I think it's really important to just sit in that for a little bit and be okay with it, rely on the people around you. Um, but also know that, you're not all of that. Like, that's a cool thing that you do, but it's not your only, I, it isn't the only thing about you. And I think what's challenging when you do move into the realm of not having like another job or not having other hobbies is that that can feel like it's all of you. And so it's really important to diversify. So like being a teacher actually helps me. It's like, my kids don't care if I did this or not. They're just like, you're a weirdo <laughs> do I mean they they actually are super supportive but it's like I still have to be a good teacher and at the end of the day teaching kids is like the most important thing I think I can contribute um so I think having that extra thing has really helped me and also people care far less than you think they care about you but they don't care about the achievement and that's the way you can tell if people are really good friends or not it's like who cares what people on Instagram say but like the people that really care about you they just want you to be happy whatever that means um so going back to kind of sitting in that DNF I immediately sent <laughs> again I've progressed from there because I DNF'd another race this year um is that I immediately sent my coach a hey can I do this race and he's like no because we'd had the conversation after that, where he said, look, you're trying to do all these things, but you're not doing them as well as you could. Do you want to be treated as a professional or do you want to kind of keep being treated as an amateur? 
I said, I want to be treated as a professional. And he said, all right, then you're going to pick one big race. That's going to be your goal. And everything's going to be building up to that. And you cannot keep throwing these things in to make yourself feel better. Essentially. I was like, all right. Um, Him being completely (laughs) blunt, which I love that, by the way, I've had that conversation with many of my athletes who I coach over the years, but that's a whole nother podcast, that one. Um, and I, and I love what your coach just did there. Like just pulled you up on your, on your attitude towards your, your running. After that conversation, like what was your initial response like to yourself or to Cody, your husband? Like what was your initial response when he basically called you out and just said, Hey, like you're, you're screwing around here. Do you actually want to be better? Like I'll, I'll paraphrase him knowing from, from looking at from a coaching perspective, do you actually want to progress and be better as a runner or do you just want to keep you know, messing about and doing these pointless things? Like what did you, what did, what were your initial thoughts and what did you deep down take away from that? I was so glad he said it to me because I think that I have always been someone who jumps to shiny things. Um, I think it's a bit of my personality and I really need to work on. And then he had me read the book grit. Um, and I think that he, that was such a huge wake up call for running, but also my life of like, no, the things that are most worth doing are worth doing in the long run. And it was, I was actually really, I mean, I was a little bit upset, I think at first, because I was like, well, haven't you, like, I've always wanted to be a professional runner. Like, why, why are you asking this question now? But I was like, oh my gosh, he's giving me the golden ticket to be able to know what that means, as opposed to me just kind of like trying. Now it's like, oh, cool. Here's someone who wants to help me get there. And so I was really, and my, Cody was like, awesome. Finally, someone who's waking you up and telling you like, if you actually want to do this, this is what you're going to have to do. And he, my coach, like completely shifted tones with me in a way. Like he gets mad at me when I'm doing, like doing too much or fiddling around. Like I ended up two weeks later after Pinhoti pacing someone for 50 K and I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I wanted to run long because that's what I like doing. And I was trying to make myself feel better again, learn. That was a real turning point in me as an athlete. And I told him that I had paced, even though I wasn't supposed to. And he was like, cool. Well, I don't think you're taking this seriously. It's like, all right, give me another chance. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. And since that point, we've been so much better. And I've grown so much and I've had far more of a successful season and seasons moving forward because of it. Uh, what a lot of amateur runners and amateur runners who are, are decent runners in the ultra world or, or even marathon world is one of the big things that, that I've seen over the years in, in being in the ultra running world and the, and the endurance running world is, yeah, the, the ones that have worked hard and have some potential, a lot of the times, if they don't have that support, they will do too much. And people who are striving to be professional or things like that, is they need that support, but also at the same time, is they need to understand 
it's important to not do things as well as doing things and having that support and that knowledge just to, to differentiate between, okay, you don't need to do this, but you need to do that. And yeah, one of the things that I see all the time is people just running too many miles who aren't professional athletes and they might have a couple of good seasons. I, I see this in professional athletes as well. If I'm honest, uh, ultra running and Ironman triathlon, they'll have a, a couple of good seasons, maybe a few good seasons, and then they crash and burn because they've gone, oh, if I want to get better from last year, if I want to get better from last race, I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. Well, the body's not a machine. It can break. And it's about finding that balance of I'm doing a lot, but I'm also doing enough to progress. Um, and it's almost like playing the long game each season. And a lot of people miss that. And it sounds like, you had a, a nice little swift kick up the backside, so to speak, from your coach to steer you in a direction of, hey, let's focus on one thing and let's do that really well. And the training leading us to that will help move us forward afterwards when you finish that big challenge. So I want to dive into last year, 2021, because when you went out to Alabama to do the Pinhoti Trail self-supported, that was... 2020 but in 2021 you said you know what i'm going to go back and i'm going to go and do it supported my question is what was the what what were you thinking in terms of standing on that start line at the trailhead knowing what's ahead of you for the 130 miles ahead like what were your thoughts when you're just about to start that so interestingly enough, I actually decided to do it the other direction. Um, so you can do it either direction, like either one counts for the record um, because it's pretty comparable. You have kind of different challenges depending on which direction you go. So it was actually kind of a like brand new start line for me, which felt really nice. And I feel like I was running towards what I knew and running towards home, which I think actually really helped me. And also like most of my friends in that area live at the finish line. So it felt like I was running towards them, um, which I thought was actually worked out really well. Um, but, you know, I was just, so I guess to backtrack a little bit, why I ended up doing the Pinhoti again is because I had been, my goal race for 2021 was Tour de Jean. And I ended up DNFing Tour de Jean for a number of reasons, but it seems that again, dehydration is a big issue for me. And when that was kind of mixed with altitude and mixed with some stress, because it was the beginning of the school year um, for teaching. And I was just, I, I didn't get over there to acclimate. I did not have the time to kind of be in the mindset ready for this big race. And I also had to fly like the day before the race essentially. And so I was dehydrated and my flight was just miserable. Like there were just a lot of factors. I think that um, they're really hard when you are a professional outside of the running world to balance. And I should have, you know, I think I did the best that I could in many ways. I think I made some bad choices, but um, I think 
I should have gone out earlier, which I really couldn't. Um, I should have been more hydrated and more aware of that. And then I think also just like, so what happened is I started, I was getting really dizzy um, because it seemed that I had an inner ear issue, um, which is affected by dehydration. And so that was causing my balance to be off. Um, and when you're at high altitudes and you're on really rocky terrain, when you're blacking out, that's really dangerous. So I stopped at 140. Um, I was really upset, super upset because I felt I had trained my butt off to be as prepared for that race as I could. And everything was geared towards that. Um, and so I came back from that, was kind of licking my wounds, but I gave myself a while to think about what I wanted to do. I did not just jump right into it like I did in the past. I think I gave myself like a month to decide if I was going to try to do something else with all the fitness that I had accumulated, or if I was just gonna say, no, you know, for this year, that's, it is what it is. Um, I'm going to pick up for the next year. And I realized that I wanted to go back to the Pinhoti, not because I felt that I had anything to prove. I just really wanted to experience it. And I wanted to go back and I wanted to do the best that I could. Cause I, I didn't think that I had made great choices and I felt like I could make better choices. And so I talked to my coach, I told him my thoughts about what I wanted to do. He said, you know, I think with all the fitness that you have accumulated, I don't think it's a bad thing for you to want to try to use that. So we decided I was going to do that again, but he wanted me to, and I, I love the community aspect of running. It's what part of what makes it so fun for me is I love people. Um, and I love how supportive the trail running community is. I like to give back my support as well. And so he said, look, that's part of your favorite. That's one of your favorite things. Why don't you do it supported? You can focus on the running and not carrying a pack or the logistics as much. You can really just do what you're good at and also connect with the people back there. Um, and so I decided I was going to do that. I had great people volunteer to help me um, and went back and made that decision to to go supported and um, to kind of see where I could use the fitness I built up for Tour de Jean in a different manner. So you head back out there to do the 350 miles or 560 kilometers supported to be around a crew, to be around some great people, to be around you know, the ultra running community. Were, did, you, did you feel any different when you started? that second time to the first time and, and how, like, what, what did you feel when you, when you started? Yeah. So I think that a lot of what I've come to realize in running is so much of your success. And I say success, not just like winning or, you know, finishing or whatever, but just success in the endeavor. It comes from the mindset that you bring into it. And I came into it with this mindset of gratitude and exploration and just excitement and I didn't feel like I had to get the record to prove anything I felt like I wanted to do it to set 
I, I mean, there, there was only one other woman's record that was self-supported and it was about 10 days and the men's record is a little over five days. And I, I wanted to set something to encourage women to go after it. I wanted to open the door for others to feel like it was possible. And that I think made such a difference. So I didn't go into it feeling like I've got to prove that Alyssa Clark is a great ultra runner. It's like, I just wanted to have fun and I wanted to um, see what my body could do. I wanted to experience. I've had now quite a few times where I've had to stop around 150 miles and I was like, what happens after 150? I want to know. Like, this is so cool. Um, and like, what does your mind do? What does your body do? How do you manage yourself? Like, I wanted to explore that. Um, and so this was just such a great opportunity to get to do that. And you know, I think I, I've come to realize again, over and over, it's what you bring into the event itself. And gratitude is such, it, it's the best place to start. It's, you know, with my marathons, I have come to realize over and over how those were successful because I had no expectations that they would be successful. And they were successful because I was grateful for every single day I got to be out there. And if I got into it and said, like, I'm going to run 95 marathons, like, I'm going to break the world record, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, that comes with such a different force behind it. And when you come into it, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is great. This is an adventure. I'm super excited. I'm grateful to be out here every day. And I never thought I would stop. But every day, I was so grateful to finish. And I think that's why it happened and i think that's why pinhoti happened yeah and i think that's people can take away from that not the fact that you know you were out there for five days and 14 hours and 43 minutes and you ran 350 miles and some people might miss the point that i'm going to make in terms of you didn't really have a benchmark and you weren't trying to beat something you had you had a a rough idea that you what you'd like to do but because you'd never done anything like this before it was you know your curiosity curiosity was like you know what i'm really grateful that i can be on the start line and, and let's just see what happens and i think people can take that attitude into doing a a different distance of a race whether it's going from a 5k to a 10k you know up to a half marathon up to a marathon you know marathon to an up to 100k 100k to 100 miler you can have a time or a distance if you're if you, you know, if you're doing some other event that's out there these days like backyard ultra and things you can have a distance you can have a goal you can have a target and i think that's important but if it's the first time you're ever doing it i think it's a great opportunity and so many people miss this to say you know what i'm not going to have any expectations i've done the training i know roughly where i'm at but let's just see let's be curious with what i'm capable of and let's be grateful that I have this ability to do this new distance. I have this ability to just try and see what I'm capable of. So I really love that, that you acknowledge that even before you started and doing it with other people, no doubt, just reinforce that sort of feeling. So as mentioned, you finished in five days, 14 hours and 43 minutes. What was the toughest time for you during those five days yeah so um 
I think this is where I, I really found myself in a way. And I found something I've never been able to access before. So um, part of that trail is there are quite a few very long road sections, like 80 plus miles of road, um, which beats the crap out of your legs. Like it is just rough. And I ran all of it, um, especially because it was earlier on. And what I found is that my, I mean, essentially my shins were just like in enormous amounts of pain. I mean, like the worst shin pain I've ever felt in my life. And um, it would get worse when I, when it got colder. So night, like this transition from day to night and the night to day is when it's actually the coldest. And so those would be just absolutely miserably painful. Um, as my shins would get colder and they were also really swollen um, and my ankles were really swollen. My feet were really swollen. So I couldn't flex my toe and like my shin at all. Like it was just like getting shoes on and off was, I was screaming in pain and I, it extreme shin pain had actually stopped two other people that I know from finishing the record. And it, it's totally valid. Like it's awful. It's so painful. Um, and so, but it would warm up. Like if I gave it time, it, I could overcome it and get past it. So, um, I came in on, I think we're at like 230 miles or right around there. And it was just transitioning and I, and I was just like sobbing in pain, like so, so much pain. Um, so I slept for a couple of hours and got up and we were trying to put my shoes on and my shins had blistered, like they were expanding so much. I mean, it was bad. It, like I wasn't making it up in my head of it being painful. We we're trying to put my shoes on. I just was screaming in pain. And I was like, I just don't, I can, I can't even put my shoes on. How am I going to go another hundred and like 20 miles on my legs like that's just not going to happen so and then so what, what shifted in your head at that point when you're telling yourself how am I going to do this how did you actually tell yourself that you 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 are going to do it and how did you get yourself back up to do it yeah so well first of all you just start walking because most of the time you can always walk and I started walking. I was leaning heavily on my poles. At that point, I had, for the first time, I had a pacer with me. Um, and so she was walking behind me and I would just stop and start sobbing and like holding myself on my poles. And then I would stand up and I would say, um, is this really the end? Is this really everything that you have? Have you given this every single bit of your effort can you truly not go another step? The answer was no. And I asked myself that multiple times in that whole journey. I said, is this truly all you have to give? And the answer is always no. Um, but really at that point is that it was almost like I had like a memory bank and I was flashing through all the memories of times I've, I've failed or stopped. And I, there was the feeling of how badly I wanted to succeed and how badly I wanted to keep going was stronger than any pain. And I thought about, I thought about my husband. I thought about my students. 
I thought about every person who believed in me and how much I wanted to, to do my best for myself and also for them and how much they'd, they'd invested in me, how much they knew that I could do it and I wanted to prove them right. And it, and then I started running slowly, like super slow mile. And then they started warming up. Then I started walking faster and then I started running and then just kept going. And I've never been able to access that part of my mind before and had the desire to go, to keep going, be strong, that strong. Yeah, that's, that's something that you're not going to forget and you will use many times in, in the future. And from what I'm hearing, it's that curiosity piece. You know, I, I, it's exactly the same thing. What, what I do myself personally is what if I can just take one more step? What if I can just take this, this single step or if I'm on a bike, what if I can just pedal once more? You know, can, can I, can I run to that post? Let's just get there. Let's just worry about that. Let's not worry about anything else. Can I stand up? You know, you can break it. You can break it right down. Can I take one bite of food? You know, can I sit down? Can I get up? Whatever it is. So I think that's that curiosity piece. And this is something that I'm finding on this series uh, with um, some amazing athletes is who have done some fantastic challenges and and life achievements is curiosity is a is a central theme amongst um pretty much all the conversations i've been having and what i liked about what you were saying is you also made it not just about yourself and not just about you in those really dark times you you made it about someone else you know your students your husband all your support and it's like by the sounds of it, it wasn't the case, oh, I'm going to let them down. It's like they've invested in me and they believe in me. So why can't I believe in myself? And I don't want to put words in, into your mouth, but it sounds like that's the emotions that you were going through. Um, did you have any other low times after that, that like you really had to dig deep again? Um, never to that extent. I think once I got past that, I never questioned that I was going to finish. It, which and, is so weird but and what, and what day was that that had that really dark time day that three, was day three the like night of day three okay okay I, so, yeah, yeah yeah or no yes yeah. night of day three yeah um and you know it's something something that i it's so funny i have no idea where i found this but when i first ran my first ultra which is a 50k which i skipped marathons and all that to go straight into which yeah you know it is what it is um I discovered this trick that I would I still do where I when things got hard I would do 10 seconds for every person who believes in me um and I would so I would go okay it's getting hard all right 10 seconds for my mom I count to 10 10 seconds for my husband 10 seconds for my cats 10 seconds and all of a sudden you've gone from, first of all, you get through a lot of 10 seconds and you've gone from feeling really badly or really negatively about the situation. And now you're full of gratitude. And all you're thinking about is all of the people that believe in you and that you should believe in yourself. And your mindset's completely shifted. Now you're in a positive mindset. 
now you're happy. Now you have all of these people that you feel like are behind you. And whether they're your closest friends or just like some random person that once, you know, you've talked to on Instagram, like people want you to succeed. And so you just start going through that list and then you're out of that dark hole. And I don't know why I did that my first ultra, but I've done that ever since. I love that. I've dubbed it Alyssa's 10 second stack. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, I've never heard that from you. Um, you know, we've had, we've shared a lot of stories and a lot of conversations, but I've never heard that. What year was your first ultra just for context? Yeah. So it was 2015. I graduated yeah. college in June and did my first 50 K in August and then moved to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I, I love that. Alyssa's 10 second stack. I'm going to use that. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to use the, I'm going to, and I'm going to name it that the Alyssa's 10 second stack. And I think I, I love it because I think it can be translated into anything in life is you've got so many people who are supporting you and want you to succeed, whether it's in running, whether it's in business, whether it's in anything, you know, like even if you're really struggling in the supermarket with, you know, other people or whatever, you can say, right, okay, 10 seconds for this person and that person, you can just focus on that. So it's, I, I think that's fantastic. And the fact that you've, that you, that you found that in your first ultra, um, I think is phenomenal and you, and you use it today. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that, but also credit you for that one. So thanks. <laughs> so oh, of course you five days and 14 hours, tell me about that, that final section, those final 14 hours that you've, you've, you've done five days. I'm going to, I'm going to say that you knew that you were going to finish at this point and you've got those final 14 hours, which was however many miles to go. What were the emotions like leading up to, you know, those first sort of the last sort of 30 miles or so to, to that finishing line? Yeah. So that's such a, I think that's such a fascinating time to explore. Um, first of all, the best part is that for the majority of that, I had people running with me or like multiple people running with me, which is so fun to get to share that journey and feed off their excitement. Um, I think that the tricky part about having 30 miles or so so I was great until um I had another like 11 mile road section and then like a six or seven mile wood section a four mile roadish section and then like six miles again so, something along those lines um but you're like super excited because you have a 50k it's so much shorter than the rest of what you've done but you still have 30 miles to run and when I had about 20 three-ish miles left, I started like getting really upset because I was so tired. I was so, and at that point, like I haven't really slept that much for a bit because I'd started cutting my sleep down. Um, I was just like, how the heck am I going to run another 20 plus miles? Like that's a lot of miles left. Like, and so you can get, I knew it was going to happen. So I was prepared for it. I knew I was going to hit a point where I was going to be like, this in the scheme of things, this is super short, but it's still a lot of miles and it's still going to take me a long time. So you have to work through that. And so I hit that 23 and I started getting really upset. And then I just went, you don't have to think you just have to move. And I went into a mantra 
where all I was, I mean, I was literally a zombie person, not, I, I could barely communicate with anyone else. And all I was doing was saying, you don't have to think you just have to move. And it became meditative. Also like things your brain does at almost 330 miles, pretty insane. It like you do reach this weird meditative state where it's like, nothing's going to hurt more. So you just keep going. Like you've kind of reached like critical capacity of pain. And so your goal is just to keep going. Um, and then in <laughs> what's funny is the seven mile wooded section I've done like four or five times just from other coming up and I hate it and I hate it every time and I didn't like it then and I fell in water and I was super I, I like had a great time for about four or five hours because I was with someone I really enjoy being with and we were just chit-chatting along but I thought it should be done a lot faster than it was which is a horrible trap to get into where you think something's going to be faster I got my feet wet and I hadn't want I didn't want to change shoes again or socks because I just wanted didn't want to take that time so again kind of grumpy on that section it was also getting dark again. And when you're going into your last night and you're like, maybe I could be done pretty soon. That last night can always be kind of mentally a little bit hard to lose the sun again. Um, so I got out of that. I changed my shoes. And then again, I thought I was going to walk this whole four mile road section, ended up running the whole thing because the body does weird things where when the mind is strong enough to say, no, you're going to run. Um, and then I got to the last six mile section, which is this lovely wooden wooded part up to kind of the final um, up a mountain. And then you end kind of up there and uphill was going really well for me. Um, it caused me the least amount of shin pain. So I was really enjoying the uphill and something that um, one of my like good friends on that who's been my friend since I kind of got into Pinhoti and like runs the outdoor center there he had said from the first moment that I broached the idea to him of coming back save the last six mile section for me because I want to run it with you and so I had held on to that when things were hard I was like I just need to get to Nathan because I want to run with him and so when we got to that point and I realized oh my gosh like we're here I was so thankful and I said to myself, you have about two hours to the finish. You're going to finish, enjoy this. Don't wish it away. And I did, I thoroughly enjoyed that time. I got to catch up with him. I got to soak in the feeling of the accomplishment of doing this thing that you're never sure if it's fully possible. Um, and I really enjoyed that last two hours. Was it without pain? No, it still hurt. But I, I just, it's like, how many times do you get to have two hours to run with a friend and reflect on a huge accomplishment? Yeah. And that was really cool. Yeah, Ex exactly. And, you know, to sort of touch on what you said just slightly before was, you know, you were in pain and it was horrible. And it's not going to go away, but you just accepted it. Like, that's what that is. Like you, you get into this, as you said, like this meditative state is the fact that you've accepted the discomfort. You've accepted the pain. It's not the fact that you just, you know, forgetting about it, you've accepted it. It's there. And I think that's really important, like for everyone in life 
Um, it's not the fact that you're trying to just forget about it, but you accept it's there. And pain is a great motivator to do something, to do anything. And when it gets, when it gets painful enough, you will act on it. And, you know, it was a case of, okay, this pain wasn't enough to stop me. So I'm going to accept the level that I'm at. And I've got this mantra, don't have to think, just have to move, which I think is amazing. Mantras are fantastic. That is a brilliant one. So yeah, it's accepting the discomfort, accepting the pain you're in. And just, as you said, like just keep throwing one foot out in front of the other. So I'm glad that you got to run the final six miles with your mate and you got to enjoy it. And it, that's just like a beautiful end to the trail. And yeah, you set the FKT for the Pinhoti trail um, supported. Uh, I, I'll say it again, cause it's just, it's mind blogging the distances and, and the time is 350 miles, which is 560 kilometers, five days, 14 hours and 43 minutes. And remind me how much uh, elevation gain and loss was in that whole trail? Uh, 50,000 feet. So it's not flat. Um, it's not flat. It's not like ridiculously mountainous, but it's not flat. It keeps throwing things at you. Yeah. About 15,000 meters, I think. So would be yeah ish somewhere in there uh Alyssa my friend I'm mindful of your time and it is it's been great to catch up with you it's been so long since we've chatted I've learned some new stuff about you and I think some of the things that I've taken away from this podcast and I hope others uh, will too is you know the curiosity and the gratitude piece asking yourself can I take one more step you know is this the end? Can I, can I keep going? Being curious and pulling on that thread while having gratitude. So really thank you for sharing that. And also your Alyssa's 10K, a 10 second stack, right? 10 seconds for other people. So that is fantastic. And mantras, I love it. I love a good mantra. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that as well. Right at the end here, don't have to think, just have to move. So I want to finish with one final thing. If there's someone listening to this podcast right now and they're contemplating doing a big adventure, going up a distance in race, what if you were just sitting down with them, having a coffee or whatever, like what is just something really sort of simple that, that you would say to them? Um, I think I would say just, I mean, go for it. <laughs> First of all, like what do you have to lose? What is there? to be afraid of, but also um, make sure that you have the support system to help you get there and um, really examine why you want to do it. I think knowing whether that is just a, I just want to see if I can, I think that's a great reason. So finding out why um, and then having the people to help you along the way are super key. Fantastic. Alyssa, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on the Luke's Lowdown podcast. So many insightful things to take away. Where can people find you, learn more about what you've got coming up and see what you're up to next? Yeah. So my um, probably most active on Instagram, I just downloaded TikTok. So we'll see how that goes. But I, yeah, no, no, no. Um, my Instagram is theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y underscore in underscore motion, M-O-T-I-O-N. Um, that's, I try to respond to everything. That's where you can 
find what I'm up to. Um, and then if you want to learn more about um, the coaching that I offer, you can go to alyssaclarkruns.com um, or you can just message me on Instagram and you can find me on Facebook with just Alyssa Clark. Cool. I'll put those all in the show notes as well. Well, my friend, thank you very much for coming on. And to all my listeners, remember, like, subscribe, share this episode with your friends and go over and say g'day to Alyssa on Instagram or on her website. Thanks very much, my friend. Thank you. Thank you.